Lord, I just, we need your help as we go through the text. Not because the text is too hard for us, but Lord, we don't always want to obey it. And we struggle with this concept of looking to the future correctly. We want to look to ourselves. We want to focus on ourselves far too much. And so, Lord, it, it's hard sometimes to get past ourselves. And so, Lord, we are asking that in your infinite wisdom that you would guide our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you promised that you would give us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, that would guide us to all the truth to understand what you want us to know. So, Lord, we lay ourselves at your mercy this morning that you might teach us as we get through this important subject as we close First Peter in the next month or so. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time. May we honor you with this time of teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text this morning starts in verse 7. And he's quickly moving to this, okay, we got to look forward. we got to move forward with our thinking. Um, the end is coming. How do we live then? Now, he's been focusing all this time on suffering and the pattern that we have in Christ and the fact that because of Christ, we need to have the right priorities in life. If we're going to endure persecution, if, if we are going to be able to be effective witnesses in the world in which we live, that we don't even belong here, he says. I mean, get that. We don't belong here. So how do you live? And he gets through all of that, and he says it's because of Christ He is the ultimate pattern. And that brings us right up to verse 7, and he starts to switch gears. And you'll see that in verse 7 as we go through 7 through 11. Now, it's not a quick mark, okay? Even though I chose 7-Eleven, it's not the quick mark down the street. We're not going to jump in and grab a soda and jump back out and maybe a slice of pizza or a corn dog. That's not what we're going to do. But if you want to go down and say hi to Allah, who owns the 7-Eleven, and witness to him, we've been working hard at sharing the gospel with him. So you're, go do that. So uh, I like to get coffee down there and share the gospel. But that's not what we're doing here. We're going to focus on God's word intently. Verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, did you notice that? The end of all things are at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, deeply, fervently. That's what earnestly means. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gifts. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's quite a section. A lot of... A lot of these verses are standalone verses that people talk about often. But as we look at this remembering our Lord's return, this beginning of this section, the whole point that we don't want to miss 
that actually this point is the point that directs us to everything else that we just read. And that is this. Live like Jesus Christ is coming. Did you wake up this morning saying, man, Jesus is coming? Did you come to church thinking, man, I'm coming to praise God because he's coming? Are you parenting your kids like Jesus is coming? We were talking in Sunday school this morning. My mom did that. We, every time there was a storm, we'd go out and we'd watch the storm. I don't know if that was dumb or that was wise. There was times when the hurricane... I've watched tornadoes go by our house in Oklahoma. That was not the wisest thing to do. I'm not promoting that. But my mom was saying, look how powerful God... She, every time she saw something that was amazing, she would say, look how powerful God is. And she goes, do you know, that same God... This is a God who's returning someday to take us home to be with him. That's the same God who died for you. I had an amazing mom. I don't know if it was always the wisest thing in the world. We joke about it now because she goes, I don't know if that was the the smartest thing. You can ask her. I've watched roofs come off houses. And I'm like, I was thinking, looking at mom, looking at the roof, looking at mom, should we leave? She's like, we're okay, son. But you know what? Peter's saying, look, the end is here. It's not, the text is not saying, don't worry, someday the end of all your pain and suffering is coming. He's like, no. He says, the end is here. The end of all things is at hand. The whole point, as we close out 1 Peter, is this. We need to live like Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. I know there's a, that hymn, I can't quote it right now, but it's, it went through my head just for a second. He's coming soon. One day he's coming. I don't know when, but he's coming soon. It talks about that in the hymn. But that's how we need to live our life. That's what Jesus was saying when he was telling the disciples in, in Luke 12, in verse 35. He says, be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. Are you ready? Verse 40, he says in Luke 12, he says, You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming on an hour that you do not expect. None of us, we can look at the times, we can look at the signs, we can look at, yeah, the signs are here, folks. But that doesn't mean that we'll know the exact time. So he says, live like he is coming right now. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to do church? How are we supposed to live in our community? How are, what kind of employee or employer are we supposed to be? How, how are we supposed to be as students at school, whether you're homeschooled or you're in a partnership plan or you're in, a, in college or you're at a, at a government school? It doesn't matter where you're at as a student. Are you living like Jesus is coming soon? Are you ready? Luke 17 is amazing. He says in verse 26, he says, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. Oh, by the way, we have new married folks somewhere around in here. (laughs) They're downstairs serving already. Can you imagine that? (laughs) So say hi to Ella and Benjamin. They're back. Uh, But look at that. They're marrying They were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
It was the same as it happened in the day, days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone, and the heavens destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Do you understand the brevity of that? Two different examples of destruction. Noah, everybody saw Noah building the ark for 120 years. Said, oh yeah, this, there's, he's a fool. <laughs> the end isn't happening. The end isn't coming. And oh, it doesn't matter what he's saying. I mean, it's never rained before. And then the flood came. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage. They were, they were going about the daily business. So it will be when Christ returns. Say, so, well, Pastor, how do I just how do I deal with what's going on in my life? How do I deal with the suffering? How do I deal with the problems? And how do I, where's your focus? Those who have a proper view of Christ's imminent return, coming now return, will naturally start preparing. We had one of the farmers said, oh, I have a calf for you. Uh, we have a, 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 a little, little um, heifer. And uh, she, they're like, oh, I have a calf for you. I'm going to bring it over. Uh, man, I'm telling you, the preparation went into overdrive. We, we had gathered wood to build a, the corral uh, we, to, to extend the pen, to, to make it, a, you know, to, to make sure that we had the right Everything, right? We had it all bought for. We had it. It was sitting there. But all of a sudden, we got the phone call. The calf is coming. And my, my wife was like, oh, my word. Because I went into overdrive. I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I started clearing. I started digging posts. I started putting posts. I started screwing boards up. I started getting all the hay set out. I was like, I had to prepare. I made sure the medicine was there. I made sure we had... The calf milk, I made sure we had the bottle, made sure. I mean, we went into, the preparation went into overdrive. I started at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I quit working at 11 o'clock at night. We were ready. The calf came, the farmer was like, wow, this is nice. You know, your calf is going to enjoy life. It's like, we don't want a sick calf. We went into overdrive. That is... You know, and, I, and as I was reading this text, I was thinking, oh my goodness, that's not how, even as a pastor, that's, that's how I should be living my life for Christ. He's coming. What am I doing to prepare for that? Am I preparing my kids for that? Am I preparing my community for that? Am I preparing, my, am I preparing the church that God called me to to that? And so I'm here telling you, we need to be prepared. Here's the the idea. Here's the point. If you want to write down the secondary point, it's not in your notes. How do we live like Jesus is coming soon? It's hard because we're so distracted. Our thinking is important because it is the natural outflow of all the basics we do. It's what, how you think about it. Are you waking up? Are you spending your time thinking about Christ? You have to have the proper mindset. You have to think about it. You have to emphasize it. 
Do you talk about it? Christ is coming. Um, just like my, my mom would take me and show me all of God's amazing power to show me who God was. She wanted me to know that God was real and that God was powerful. He was the creator. And, and so she made sure and pointed it out to me. Are we pointing out to everyone around us, God will come back. God is coming. Now, he's, he wants us to talk about it, but he doesn't want us to be a nut about it, right? Don't, our job is not to freak everybody out and scare people and act crazy. Our job is to be frank about it and be real about it. And he says this, this is how you have the right mindset. This is how you have the right kind of heartbeat to have the vital signs that you're preparing for Christ's return. How do you know if you're preparing for Christ's return? Well, this is it. Number one, Christians must have a focused prayer life. Look at verse 7. Therefore, what? Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Do you have the right type of thinking that controls your prayers? If you are thinking about Christ returning, you are going to ramp up your prayer life. Prayer is important. To have a sober mind is to think in a sane way, to think realistically. Not like I think, right? I, like, oh, we're going to build this big barn. We're going to do all this. We're going to do this. We're gonna... My wife just smiles. I love your dreaming. I love that you dream. But that's not reality. We have to have realistic thinking. God will return. Is it driving you to your knees? Are you, are you, are you sober in your thought? Are you self-controlled in your thoughts? Or are you being drunk on this world? Is this world so enticing that you're drinking the world in so much that you're not sober when it comes to how you think about your relationship with Christ? Because that's the intent of what, he, what Peter is saying. Therefore, be self-controlled, control your thinking, and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Soberness is the opposite of drunkenness. It also deals with a sober state of mind, capable of perceiving and reasoning and act accurately and according to the reality that is before you. And this is the reality. Christ is coming, and He's coming soon. In 1 Thessalonians 5, and verses 4 through 11, He says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are the sons of light and sons of day. You are not of the night, nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as the others do, but let us be alert and sober. Second Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy, he says, look, he says, look at all that is happening. There's this coming a time in verse 3 in chapter 4, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they want to be entertained, he says. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. Right? They'll say, oh yeah, you know, homosexuality is normal, and, and you can decide whatever gender you want. You're the god of your body. Right? That's a myth. Evolution is a myth. There's no facts. I love the way that our, our beloved teacher down here, 
taught all of his kids at his second grade year-end party. And as he went through the math, he says, let's look at real science. And he went through the math and the possibilities of evolution even being possible. And it's astronomically just out of this world impossible if you do the math, just the math, let alone observable science. And that was wonderful. But that's what, the, that's what the world is going to, he says. But you, Timothy, he says in verse 5, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Be sober. We have to be focused in our prayer. That's what praying does. It changes your mindset. It gets you right in your thinking with God. If you're not running to your knees... You're not going to be thinking about the Lord's return. You're going to be thinking about, what do I have to do today? What is going on? And and how are these people going to treat me? And I wonder if, if, if people like me. And I wonder if all these things. If you're in prayer, you're going to be thinking about the Lord's return. That's the process. Our responsibilities in living is this, is not only be focused in our prayer life, but Christians must love other believers deeply. Did you see that in verse, verse 8? Above all, right? So we have to have the right type of thinking because we're on our knees in prayer. We have to prioritize prayer, but we have to prioritize loving one another. How do we f- keep our mind on the fact that Christ is returning? We focus on loving one another. As the end draws near, Are you loving others in the body of Christ? By the way, it's not loving just... The command isn't to go out and love our community. Our command is to love each other in the body of Christ deeply. The word deeply there means fervently. We are to fervently. We are to to keep that passion lit for loving one another. How do we keep our mind focused on the fact that Christ is returning? It's through our love for one another. One of the ways that we don't, what we miss and we stop focusing on the return of Christ is we stop focusing on how to love one another. In fact, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. He told his disciples that this was going to be a problem. He said this was going to be hard. He says everything... All, I'm, I'm going to come back and, and there, all these things are going to be happening and, and this is what the signs of my return will look like for nations are going to rise against nations. All these things are going to happen. But look at what he says about us in verse 10. When Christ is coming soon, he says in verse 10, he says, and at that time many will fall away and will be delivered and will deliver up one another and hate one another and many false prophets will rise will rise literally rise out of our midst and mislead many and verse 12 and because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold and he's talking about in the church that the love love for people love for one another is going to grow cold that cannot happen we got to practice. If we're going to focus, if we're going to say God is coming and he's coming soon, we need to practice loving one another deeply, consistently. In fact, you know that Warren Wiersbe, he just, in fact, passed away just this last month. 
Um, I had a, a unique perspective in the fact that he, uh, a good friend of mine that I interned at his church when he was a senior pastor, he became a pastor at Warren Wiersbe's church. And, and so I got to hear all these stories about him. And, and, he, and Warren Wiersbe, great, great, great expositor of God's word, said this. He said, this love should be fervent. The word picture of a fervent love is an athlete straining to reach the goal. It speaks of eagerness and intensity. Christian love is something we should work at and stretch. He says, just as an athlete stretches his muscles, so that way his muscles will do more. The more you stretch your muscles, the more effective your muscles are. That's what my, my therapist keeps telling me, right, Marilyn? <laughs> They're like, no wonder your back hurts. Your hamstrings are so tight. Stretch those things. She's like, if, it hurts a lot less if you stretch those muscles. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I have to stretch, right? But how many of us do the exact same thing? Well, it's hard to love people. They're so, they make so many, they say so many dumb things, Right? Don't they know that that hurts? Well, if they did, they probably wouldn't say it. Except for some of them. (laughs) Some of them know they're hurting. But we are not very good at it. And then the thing that happens, I don't want to do that. I don't want to love people. It hurts because they just hurt you. Well, then you know what happens is you atrophy the muscle. And it becomes ineffective. You don't enjoy people anymore. You don't love people, and and you don't enjoy the benefit of other people loving you. The idea here in the Holy Spirit, as it gave this idea to Peter, when he says that we are to be earnestly love one another, it's that we need to earnestly stretch that muscle of love. So that way it becomes effective. So we and when we are loving one another, we're loving one another because our we're saying the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. Not only that, but how we keep our mind on Christ is this. We must practice hospitality without, what? Complaining. Have you ever... I, I have to do that too, right? It's like, you know, it's funny as my wife asks me, when is your mom coming? I don't know. <laughs> We practice hospitality all the time because we have family that just drops in and we never know when they're coming. We're like, oh, last week it was, uh, usually my mom calls me or FaceTimes me every Married Life Live. This time she just dropped in. <laughs> she just showed up during Married Life Live. Says, oh, we're going to go to ice cream. We're like, oh, we'll meet you there. And then we've got talking forever. But here's the thing. Do you find yourself, oh, I, I have to invite so-and-so. Oh, this is Hospitality Sunday. Uh, do I really have to invite somebody to lunch? It's like, you know, oh, do I have to clean the house? I told my wife, no, you don't have to clean the house. Just invite somebody over. Who cares what they think about the house? We live on a farm, for goodness sakes. <laughs> so we'll just eat, you know, praise the Lord for the sun. We'll just eat outside. <laughs> you know, it's so who cares, Right? The food is all that matters. The laughter is all that matters. The helping each other is all that matters. Making sure that people know that we're there to support them. That's all that matters. 
not what type of clothes we have, not what type of house we have, not what type of car we have, except unless the car runs, right? So you can get the people there. But it doesn't matter. All that matters is that we, out of our deep love for one another, that we are hospitable. Do you understand what this meant to the early church? We sometimes think, oh, it's so inconvenient. But in the many times during the early church, to be hospitable meant to show your hand that you were a believer, which meant you could go to jail or even condemn to death. And Peter is saying, so as this is not a command, a direct command, this is actually flowing out of the command to deeply love one another, to take care of one another. To show hospitality means to basically take care and help each other. It's how we love one another. You know, love one another uh, covers a multitude of sin. It's like when we show hospitality and when we love one another, you know what that does to sin? It's not a cover-up, by the way. That's not what this verse means. It's not to say that we're going to cover up people's sin and just say, oh, it's okay. That's what some people, some churches do that today. They say, you know, we're just going to love them because we're going to cover up their sin. And it's okay. They can just keep sinning. That's not what this verse means. And in fact, it's like, do you know, what do you do when a fire gets out of control? You smother it. You smother it with something, right? Not a greasy pan <laughs> and water. <laughs> you smother it with the lid. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Jared threw water on those, our grease fire. Praise the Lord, it didn't blow up. So God was so gracious. <laughs> but you smother it. You, you reduce the oxygen, right? You reduce the fuel. Do you know what reduces the fuel for sin in the body of Christ? Love, hospitality, showing hospitality. Show that you care for one another. Showing up at somebody's work because they're having a bad day. Showing up and praying for somebody at their house because they posted on Facebook. Here's the thing. When, when you, well, text them first. Hey, I'm stopping by to pray with you. Would you meet me outside? <laughs> then they're not as, oh, no, i got to clean the house. Are you showing, when we show hospitality, when we love each other deeply, it smothers the fuel for sin in the church. Did you, did you hear that? That is God's point here. Do we want to get rid of... Do we, all those things that you hate about different aspects, I don't like that, that person bugs me, Love them deeply. Have you been praying for them? Are you loving them? Do you remember? It doesn't matter. Christ is coming soon. Right? When we love one another, it takes away the fuel for sin. That brings us to the last one here, and that is Christians must use their spiritual gifts to glorify God. Did you notice all the verses I gave you in the notes? That's for your Bible study. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we did this at, our, at my former church. We would go all week, and, and people would come, and they would come sometimes to our Bible studies, and they'd ask me, 
questions all week based on the sermon because I would give them way more Bible verses that spoke about the entirety of the subject and so that they could answer their questions and so they could dig into the message even more and pray about it. Did you see what it says in verse 10? As you receive a gift, by the way, where do gifts come from? Do you force the gift? Do you exercise the gift to make a gift? Do you make the gift happen? Is it a gift if you work at it to make it? No, then it's something that's due. This is a gift. Wrong error. This is a great verse, by the way. A lot of errors in churches today because of they want to control the gift. Okay? You cannot con- your, your job is not to control the gift. Your job is to use the gift, to be a steward of whatever the gift is. As you have received a gift, so it, it's a gift, singular, but then who's in control of the gifts? God is. Some people exhibit multiple gifts. It doesn't mean that he's more spiritual, right? Who's in control? God is. So as you receive a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God, when we use God's gift, is it to exemplify how great we are? Is it to show off? No, it's for whose glory? It's for God's glory. In fact, when God gave us a gift, did you see who is it supposed to be used for? The body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. Did you see that? Not only that, but in verse 11, whoever speaks, let him speak of the oracle of God. Let it come from God. Whoever serves, let him serve by the strength that God, that strength that what? God supplies. Who supplies the strength to use the gift? Guess what happens when we try to use our strength to control the gift? We, God uses the gift to build up the body, right? Guess what happens when we try to control the gift? Are we thinking about God's return when we control the gift? Or are we thinking about ourselves? We, we hurt people. That which God intended to build the church can be also an avenue to hurt other people. Everything is supposed to be about Christ. Look at that. In every way, in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To Him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. As we close, here's the thing. What ways do you struggle with having the right mindset? Is the world so ingrained in your thinking that you have forgotten that God is coming and His coming is now? It's not years from now, thousands, millennial. He says, to live like it is right now. What's keeping you from that mindset? Are you praying are you spending, are you focusing on prayer? Who is, you know, who is God calling you to love deeply, to show hospitality, uh, and, and to forgive their feelings? 
to be hospitable without complaining. Sounds like Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Right? Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Are you grumbling and complaining about having to love each other? That's not the right mindset. Are you living in view of eternity? When we remember that God is coming back and He's coming soon, it changes our perception. And it makes church impactful. We use our gift for the right reasons. We rely on God to supply the gift. We love one another deeply. We're in prayer often for each other. And we're just focused on the fact that Christ has returned. Here's the answers to our struggles in church life. Here's the answers to our struggles in our culture. Are you living in view of Christ's return? Or are you being... Are you drinking deeply? People think, oh, I can go to church. I don't, ha- I don't need to be, a- I don't have to do anything. I can just come sit and that makes me feel good. Listen to a good message, you know, from time to time. And if I don't like it, then I'm going to go somewhere else and find another good message. And then when I don't like that one, I'm going to go find another good message. And eventually I just don't like any message, so I just stop going. No, he says, serve one another. We have to serve one another. Church can't function if we don't serve one another. We have to love one another. We have to be praying for one another. We have to live like Jesus is coming now. That's the only way, that's the way God created church to function. That's how the blip, you know, you know what I mean when you hook somebody up to an AKG to see where their heart is, see if they have any brain waves, right? How do we know that the church is healthy? These are the ways we know. Will you focus on this? Will you live? The challenge is, will you do what God says and live like he is coming now? It'll change your perspective. It'll change your joy. It'll change your effectiveness. It'll change our church's effectiveness. It'll change the gospel. Do you realize he's coming? He's coming. Jesus is coming. Let that sink in. So simple, but yet life-changing. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this message, and I just pray, Lord, that we would be prepared, that the awe of your return would just pull us together in unity to say that my Lord is returning. May we not be caught unawares. Lord, maybe somebody here is like, I didn't know Jesus was the Lord. I didn't know Jesus was my master. I didn't know that there was such a thing as the Lord's return and that I would have to stand before him. Answer for my sin. Answer for all my wrongdoings. And that Lord, realize that we are not good enough to get to heaven. Lord, may they realize that you are coming. You've told us you will return. May we be ready. May we be found doing your work, glorifying your name, lifting you high, that you would get all the praise and all the glory. Lord, I 
pray that someone here would just lay down at the cross and say, Lord, here am I. I need your forgiveness for my sin. I need the gift that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross when he died and he rose again and conquered death to give me life. The Bible says if they were just repent and believe, he will save you from your sin and usher you into the family of God. You'll no longer be a slave to sin, but you'll be brought into the household of God. Lord, I pray that if someone here has never done that, that they don't, didn't realize they needed to be saved from their sin, that they would just cry out to you right now in their heart and give their life to you and say, Lord, I need your, I need you. Take away my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross. That they'd repent and believe that they would trust in you this morning. And may we live, the rest of us believers, trust you every day that you will return. May that be the heartbeat of our church, the outcry of our church that you are coming and that we are busy doing these things that you've laid out for us to do. Praying, loving, showing hospitality, and using the gifts that you give us to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray.